I have for you an essay today called There is no revolution without madness in which I, the author, Ismatu, ask what use is measured rationality when to be reasonable means dying quietly all the time. Notes from the text How to go mad without losing your mind. This is an essay once entitled Revolutionary Love Costs You Your Sanity at Minimum and Are We Sincerely Prepared? for it to cost us our lives. Hello and welcome to Threadings, the newsletter and podcast where we explore the bits of my politic that stitch me together like a patchwork quilt. Today, I am drinking lemongrass tea from Dine Nation. I am so blessed to be someone raised in the Southwest portion of the United States because real ones know Dine folk, great tea, great beads, phenomenal cactus jelly. Today I am bound together by the seams at the thought of a new world, musings on international solidarity for the long term and what that means for us, what that might cost us, what we stand to gain. I write to you, bereaved, from watching the avalanches of death manufactured by the United States via their blood children, including, but of course not limited to, the United Nations, the so-called State of Israel, the existence of the U.S. dollar in the first place, and more. I'm bereaved from the war in Sudan, knowing that a war of similar groundings burned my grandmother's home to the ground. I write to you feeling grief bloom from my bones, from my bone marrow. I write this and I read this to keep peace and keep time with my own senses and semblances of sanity, which light a candle and listen to jazz music and pray for the fall of the world as we know it. Hmm. The first thing that I, Ismatu, do in this essay is give the work presented context. Why am I writing this? What does it matter? What does the work of considering sanity or the lack thereof change about me? The next thing I do in this essay is move through the chosen text, How to Go Mad Without Losing Your Minds, Chapter 1, Mad is a Place, written by Lamar Joel Bruce. I move through this text with reverence to revolutionary thought, intent, and action as I know them. And the third thing we, those reading, writing, and watching, will do together is consider what it means to lay down our sane minds as we move towards means of world making, world making, because there is a world coming after this one. I consider it inevitable, not wishful thinking, not the the idealism or the hubris of being young. A new world is coming like the rising dawn. It is inevitable. It's like a baby being born. It's on the way. Capitalism is crumbling around us. And the world that comes after this one is up to us. But one's coming. At the top of this essay, I remind us all, to call for revolution is to call for death. Death to everything that we currently know. There is no iteration of Western, sanitized, capital R reason that will co-sign the destruction of itself. The destruction of systems that keep us at the mercy of our extractors. Death makes the ground fertile for life, as per the design of nature. Here's the thesis of this essay. There is no future. There is no future that belongs to the people in which we stay sane. Revolutionary thought, intent, and action requires insanity. 
I'm ahead of myself. First, let's get into the context. Mm. This essay marks the start of the Revolutionary Healer series. Originally, when I planned the Revolutionary Healer series, I did so to contextualize the decision to practice mental health care for free. And the works from my unwavering faith in the world that I see coming compel my hands to do what I have been previously told is impossible. I'm gonna run that back for you. The works from my unwavering faith in the world that I see coming compel my hands to do what I have been previously told is impossible. I spent the entire arc of my personal story dreaming aloud of healthcare for free and was told by everybody capital R reasonable that it was not possible. So in part, I deliver this essay to argue that to negotiate with reasonability is to negotiate with terrorists. Within world making, the ends are the means. Within world making, the ends are the means. Every decision that I currently make propels me forward. It shifts my timeline. It grants me access to new and different modes of being. I am just as capable of world making as you, as our neighbors or our statesmen in the ruling class. I study the work of the people that came before me to guide my steps forward in the decisions that I make and that lead to the world that my hands touch. Two foundational principles from the works of Che Guevara one from On Revolutionary Medicine, one of my favorite texts on revolutionary medicine of all time. For one to be a revolutionary doctor, or to be a revolutionary at all, there must first be a revolution. Two from notes of the study of ideology, study of the ideology of the Cuban revolution. Here he is quoting Lenin, without a revolutionary theory, there is no revolutionary movement. So I do not consider revolution or world making as a young person because I romanticize war. I assure you, I do not. Once again, I cannot stress enough to call for revolution is to call for death. I consider revolutionary theory and praxis because I prepare for war when it comes to my door, as it eventually must when you live in a country whose largest asset and most lucrative export is the US military. The dollar is backed by the U.S. military. Or when you are uh, from a country that is considered war-torn, as foreign powers quietly ransack the diamonds and gold in droves, and beyond surviving the violences of slavery-backed capitalism, I consider world-making to be universally accessible work. We currently wade through a world order born from the ideations of extractive, warmongering, white Anglo-Saxon slave owners, terrorists. Those are terrorists. Why would I allow them to tell me what is possible? So then, in my endeavors to be the person I dream of being in real time, I decided to practice for free and study in public. Remember, if you're new here, I have my master's degree in clinical social work, concentration in health administration and policy, healthcare and dissemination of it in accessible points is kind of my jam and my jelly. This announcement came after months of, of ruminating, of feeling unsatisfied, of considering the financial precarity, attempting to charge my clients poorly, and finding out that I had no other choice but to find a way to provide my works for free. Work done for the benefit of the community needs to be accessible to the community at large and all cost is a barrier. So cost eradicated, done. My original machinations for the Revolutionary Healer series were essentially 
show your work. Show your work, Isma, too. If you want to expand into space the way that you dream of doing, if you want your ripple effects to disturb the placid lake of reasonable possibility, then you must do something outside of what you've been told is rational. I received feedback for this uh, with various words for crazy, manic, deranged, self-harming. In the newsletter portion of this newsletter podcast, I have a screenshot of a TikTok comment I received, one of many that says, this feels like mania. I hope I am misreading. Thus, the context that this essay comes to you, the reader from, makes itself known. I feel nothing but unconditional peace. Revolutionary work, such as free medical care, will always, always seem crazy in these iterations of possibility. Here we get into the text. How to Go Mad Without Losing Your Mind by Lamar Jarrell Bruce. Mad as a Place. Dang, this tea is good. From the text, iconic first words. Hold tight. The way to go mad without losing your mind is sometimes unruly. It might send you staggering across asylum hallways heckled by disembodied voices or shimmying over spotlight stages being greeted by loving applause. It might find you freewheeling through fever dreams, then marching towards freedom dreams, then scrambling from sleep. With blood and stars in your eyes, the whole world a waking dream. But for now, we wade through a liquid void among ominous ships where this study begins. Dr. Lamar Jarrell Bruce is such a moment. What a superb, superb, what a superb read this is. I consider How to Go Mad Without Losing Your Mind, Madness, and Black Radical Creativity mandatory reading for world building praxis. Mandatory. Because when discussing revolution, we think about violence first. That's what we tend to do. We think about, joke about, are, are tempted by the burning and the bombing and the tearing down of, yes, of course, all of that is necessary. And I do repeat, necessary for the purposes of having a new world stand on top of fertile ground. Death makes the ground fertile by the design of nature. Civilians, quote unquote, put in quotes because matters of civilian and matters of terrorists are entirely up to the opinion of the person telling the story. But civilians become martyrs because we, the world makers left behind, do not allow them to die in vain. Don't allow them to die for the gain of colonizers. What do we want? What do we build? Do we remember how crucial the work of honing our imaginations is as part of revolutionary theory? Thus, How to Go Mad is a study of the madness present in black radical creativity without creativity the means to think up world makings we cannot yet see taste touch what exactly are we compelled to take up arms for what do you burn and fight and kill for if you cannot taste the sweet plum of freedom bursting on the other side revolution is to call for death that you cannot hide for the sweet plums of freedom ripened on the other side the first and the most necessary death of revolution is the death of all semblance of reason capital r question for your reading and my writing considerations what is reason 
what is unreason. Speaking of which, what kind, what, what's madness? What kind of madnesses are there? Which madnesses call to us? Why is it so important that we reject the lens of the current world makers when thinking about what freedom will actually cost us? First, what exactly is reason? Capital R reason, this thing I keep saying. From the text, from page four specifically, the purposes, for the purposes of this study, I distinguish reason, lowercase, from reason, uppercase. The former, little r, reason, signifies a generic process of cognition within a given system of logic. Meanwhile, capital R, reason, is a proper noun denoting positivist, secularist, enlightenment-rooted epistemy purported to uphold objective truth, quote-unquote, while mapping and mastering the world. In my own words, Reason, capital R, capital R reason, is a school of thought conceived from white world makers to decide who is compliant with their world makings and their understandings and who is deviant and thus dangerous to those understandings. This is my personal definition. I came to rest on these understandings while I waded through very expensive therapy school, trademarked. A thesis that exists a bit later in this chapter speaks to this truth and it's Psychiatry is susceptible to ideology. From page seven, psychiatry is susceptible to ideology. All of the psi sciences, and we're really gonna unpack this later, but all of the psi sciences, sciences of the mind and the understandings of the human condition, quote unquote, what makes sanity and insanity are based in the ideologies of the people holding the evaluation form. And matter of fact, the people that wrote the evaluation form in the first place. The people that decided that we determine what is reasonable and healthy and what is insane and unreasonable by filling out a form. I want us to note the emphasis here on world making. That capital R reason decides what is appropriate, understandable, reasonable schools of thought as a means of thought policing. Reason quite literally creates enforceable policy on what one can be allowed to think and experience in the internal self without threat of psychiatric imprisonment, social ostracization, state violence, even justification for public lynching. Uh, Elijah McLean was killed by a police that recently got acquitted for his insanity, quote unquote. I wish him the dearest peace in his rest. To deviate from reason is to call forth some kind of death. This alone should tell us something about the role of unreason and calling forth revolution. What is unreason? This is the second question in that lineup I had. Again, we return to the text again from page four. Political theorist Akile Mimbe remarks that it is on the basis of distinction between reason and unreason, unreason being passion, fantasy, that late modern criticism has been able to articulate a certain idea of the political, the community, the subject, or more fundamentally, of what the good life is all about, of how to achieve it, and in the process, how to become a fully moral agent. The exercise of reason is tantamount to the exercise of freedom. I'm going to run that last sentence back. The exercise of reason, capital R here, is tantamount 
to the exercise of freedom. Again, in the newsletter, I've linked another talk um, from Mimbe. I think they're absolutely incredible. And it's a talk on the idea of a world without borders. Please check it out. Passion as unreason. Finding oneself compelled by the emotion which emanates from our bones, which we are told in this world to never lead with. Fantasy as unreason. Escape into a world where one can experience this one even maybe even especially if it only exists in the mental sphere. Reason is the means one utilizes to gain freedom. Re reason acts as the means, the vehicle that one utilizes to gain freedom in this iteration of the world and the pursuit of freedom, life, liberty, happiness, whatever those genocidal white motherfuckers were talking about is exactly how one becomes a moral agent. That is so important to understand. Morality, everywhere in the white Western world acts as a prerequisite to qualifying as human. Morality acts as a prerequisite to qualifying as human. Without morality, you are a savage beast that needs to be controlled by a white overseer. It's a narrative that has happened time and time again. A common tool of white supremacist propaganda frames the targets of their genocidal intents as people who have no imaginable morals and white boundaries of understanding. Here's a note from the editor. One day I will write an essay about post-humanism because to be human in this world is to be white and wealthy. Today is not that day. So then, what kind of unreason is the desire for revolution? Is it passion or fantasy? I argue that will to act in revolutionary theology comes from a mix of the two, both passion and fantasy. The feeling that compels the thought of what if there was something different than this? What we turn to Bruce, who argues for a third entry under unreason, which is madness itself. What kind of madnesses are there? Here in the newsletter, we have a screenshot of the song Mad by Solange Knowles, featuring Lil Wayne off Spotify. There's also an entirely separate essay here in the madness of opulence and what extreme wealth and fame does to a person when you're isolated from the rest of general humanity. But I, uh, I don't got the time for it right now. Bruce brilliantly builds us the foundation for madness as methodology, wherein madness is an ensemble of epistemological modes. Academics love the word epistemology. <laughs> epistemological modes, political praxis, interpretive techniques, affective dispositions, existential orientation, and ways of life. Those are big chunky academic words for mad is a place that one can inhabit. Specifically at the intersection of black radical creativity and world making, madness as a floating signifier and dynamic social construct that evades stable definition, and madness as a lived reality that demands sustained attention, both passion and fantasy. Bruce puts forth four kinds of madnesses as conglomerates. Everything taken in italics is from the text. Um, so I will denote when my words come back in. First, we have phenomenal madness, which is from the text, an intense unruliness of the mind, producing fundamental crises of perception, emotion, meaning, and selfhood. 
as experienced in the consciousness of the mad subject. Here are my words. Phenomenal madness is first person, singularly felt, and centers the interior mad the, the interior mindscape of the mad subject. Although I'm not mad at madscape, I kind of love that. Phenomenal madness is then self-experienced and self-defined. We also have medicalized madness, which is the range of, in quotes, serious mental illnesses and psychopathologies codified by the psi sciences of psychiatry, psychology, and psychoanalysis. These serious conditions include, not limited to, schizophrenia, disassociative identity disorder, bipolar disorder, borderline personality disorder, and the antiquated diagnosis of medical insanity, quote unquote. That's from the text. Here are my words. Medicalized madness is felt individually, yet diagnosed or pulled into reality as a consequential condition. That's what a diagnosis is. It's when you pull a reality from a conglomeration of symptoms as a consequential condition. That diagnosis is made by a secondhand party. The experience of madness is then both in the person laboring under a diagnosis, which may or may not strip them of their freedoms or their ability to pursue freedoms, and the experience of madness is held in the hands of the medical professional exacting those claims. I cannot stress enough that medicalized madness garners its powers from the hallmark of legitimacy. White made, white servicing logic, capital L, is responsible for targeting black men with increased diagnoses of schizophrenia when there is nothing inherently, ontologically, transhistorically pathological about hearing voices. That's from the text. And everything that sounds like, hmm, there should be a source for that. I promise you there's a source for that. In the newsletter, go ahead and click over. As Bruce states, Psychiatry is susceptible to ideology, cannot state that enough. White-made conceptions of rationality once had black people marked as clinically insane for desiring to seek freedom in the days of the Confederacy. Each and every system of the current world makings is susceptible to ideology. We have the madness of rage, an effective state of intense and aggressive displeasure, which is surely phenomenal but warrants analytical distinction from the unruliness of phenomenal madness. Black people in the United States and elsewhere have been subjected to heinous violence and degradation, but rarely granted recourse. Consequently, a singer and songwriter Solange Knowles reminds us, black people got the right to be mad and got a lot to be mad about. That's from the text. Here are my words. The inclusion of rage as madness delights me, not just in the acknowledgement of the way mad, angry, also habitually means mad, crazy, but also madness as rage is the first categorization that posits madness as something that a group can feel collectively. Rage is not just individually felt and policed individually. It can be, but blessed rage, generational rage, rage anointed in blood moves entire bodies of people into uprisings. The consequence from the whitely sane then also coalesces into a collective backlash. Rage then is communally felt and communally policed. With this, I wish to briefly jump forward in the text to, to highlight an instance of 
collective madness, rage and psychosocial madness within the diaspora, the birthplace of the alleged disathesia, you know, I don't respect Latin. I'm going to be real honest with you. It's the disease that allegedly makes black people pathologically lazy. Haiti, the first and thus far only black nation to successfully hold a slave revolt and win their country back after 12 years of armed insurgency. What else but the madness of rage could compel people to call for massive death, rage, heavy doses of phenomenal madness mixed together in a cauldron of psychosocial madness proved to be beautifully lethal. The perpetual mad place of Haiti causes the West to use any excuse to occupy her and further ensure that they cannot world make a reality where the Haitian moves freely to determine sovereignty for her own bought and paid for self. We see this currently as the United Nations clears another genocidal occupation of Haiti through the use of Ugandan and Rwandan soldiers. I might, this is just an aside, okay? This is between you and me. I might input spiritual madness as a category separately under my own notes due to the spiritual bloomings of voodoo in the Haitian revolution. And I, would, I use the word bloomings not because voodoo found its birthplace in the burgeoning nation, it was existing before that, but because of how voodoo played a massive part in the ceremony which inaugurated the war. Spiritual practices that honor ancestral lines, that venerate and strengthen deities and spiritual figures outside of the Judeo-Christian pantheon, how intensely white genocidal world makers shroud indigenous religions and spiritual practices across the globe with complete demonization, as if we don't sacrifice children on the altar of white capitalism all the time, constitutes its own type of madness. And by the way, I'm not kidding about that sacrificing children joint. That's from um, Littleton, Colorado, my hometown. But again, all that's an entirely separate essay. Now here we are at psychosocial madness, radical deviation from the normal within a given psychosocial milieu. milieu. I also don't respect the French. Any person or practice that perplexes and vexes the psychonormative status quo is liable to be labeled crazy. Also from the text here are my words, psychosocial madness is one where an individual person or a group of people deviating from the status quo is policed by the collective who legitimize themselves not through elite, not just through elite education or a degree of expertise, even though they could have that. It's a little inconsequential though. Their legitimacy comes from the reasonable, capital R, understanding that they are within correct and polite society. So then psychosocial madness is individually felt, communally policed. What madness is called to you? Collectively and personally, what, what kinds of madness make you go, oh yeah, that's my shit. So then, where is reason in liberation? 
I want us to focus in for a second on Nat Turner's rebellion, which is also brilliantly discussed in this chapter. Nat Turner was a self-avowed prophet, though uh, in my personal text, I scribbled out the self-avowed because it felt too much like allegedly, <laughs> who led his constituency to kill their genocidal overseers. I don't know about self-avowed, that sounds pretty undointed to me. Around 60 total fell dead at the hands of people they, those uh, white landowners, allegedly civilians, <laughs> butchered slowly for the purposes of labor extraction and capital gains. That doesn't sound civilian to me, but you know, nothing about this sort of armed resistance was capital R reasonable under white world makings. Of course it wasn't. And because it was effective in emboldening enslaved people to fight back. This is from page 21 of the text. Because of the prophet's access to heaven's revelations, the mad person's exile from the domain of reason and the genius's elevation above ordinary intelligence curves, all three of these figures inhabit spheres of mind supposedly inaccessible to normal-minded masses. There are three here, I'm gonna run them back. The prophet's access to heaven's revelations, the mad person's exile from the domain of capital R reason, the genius's elevation above ordinary intelligence curves. All three of these figures could be one or the same. All three of these figures inhabit spheres of mind supposedly inaccessible to a normal-minded mass. Incredibly written. I want us to note, armed resistance is always called terrorism when the narrative is not written by the people rebelling. Words like civilian and terrorist are matters of opinion entirely up to the person holding the pen. Preliminary conclusions, because I have two sets of conclusions here. Freedom exists outside of sanity. Freedom exists outside of capital S sanity. It will never be sane to negotiate your individual life for collective liberation, certainly not in the individualistic societies that we have in place. It might seem counterintuitive to start a series on healing focusing on death. I don't think so. To be focused on healing means you often breathe in the death around you in attempts to preserve life. The reality of my experiences in the healing vocations as I studied and as I learned as I became radicalized is that you are the first people to feel the ripple effects of bodies hitting the floor. You're the first ones. In the newsletter, I have a picture that I took of a stone memorial which reads, in evergreen memory of our colleagues who lost their lives in service to the nation during the Ebola virus outbreak of 2024 to 2025. And it starts with Dr. Sheikh Umar Khan. There are many um, doctors listed here and there are many more that died. The month of October has seen death live televised in ways that we, US Americans, and others of us living in imperial corals, cores, do not personally understand. We don't live in circumstances where we cannot hide the dead. Here I have a picture that um, collapsed me onto my bedroom floor when I saw it. It was just so haphazardly thrown into a, a report from the CDC about death. Um, pictured our Sierra Leonean bodies covered in soiled PPE, personal protective equipment, and buried nameless in shallow graves during the Ebola crisis of 2014 to 2016. Um, 
I remember I saw this picture and started crying so hard my dad came and collected me off the floor because this is the care that foreign Westerners brought to my homelands, the bodies uh, that they would not allow us to touch or bury with their ritual rites. So many people became bodies in mass graves because Sierra Leone does not have the infrastructure to hide away the dead. Whereas I've juxtaposed that with a, a picture of a news article from the Washington Post entitled hundreds of bodies of COVID-19 victims still in New York's refrigerated trucks more than a year into the pandemic. This is just between you and me, me and the listeners, but I think a lot about how the difference between Ebola in Sierra Leone and COVID in the United States was that we could hide away the dead in COVID, thus you could convince a populace that 1 million, 1.5 million bodies on the ground was just a slight inconvenience to the burgeoning economy. What happens when there are so many dead bodies piling up that you cannot bury them, you can't even find them all? What becomes of you, the witnesses, the still alive? who scramble to aid the dying not yet dead while infrastructure is decimated around you, when bodies, people that escape the crushing and leave behind their beautiful bodies, their once breathing bodies, rot under rubble. There's no sanity left. Sanity is not how you survive extermination brigades. It's certainly not what compels you to fight back by documentation, with armed resistance, or by continuing to serve as a doctor in a collapsed medical system, even just trying to imagine the carnage drains even measured sanity out of one's ears like a faucet. The world turns over. To be a revolutionary healer means that you have to take it upon yourself to contend with death that you cannot hide. It means death to the left of you, death to the right of you, death which befalls you for doing your job. It is the pursuit of life for those of us that are meant to die under bondage. One of us, all of us, become targets for the empire's ammunition. In every war, medical professionals are targeted for attempting, for even just the attempt, to save people from death. Ruzan al-Najjar is pictured here crying out in her hijab and her white coat with gloved hands and a medical tag held by a blue lanyard. She was shot dead in 2018 by Israeli occupying forces for providing medical care during the 2018 Gaza border protests. And she was 20 years old at the time of her death. Too poor to study at university, so she took up a course in nursing. And she was born 11 months before me. The task before me with my corner of the world stage exceeds laying out each and every tragedy of the peri-colonial world so that we can quiz ourselves on how informed we are. The task is to train us in study. The people, capital P, in mass, 
bloom from the same roots. We want sovereignty within our communities and lands that keep us peacefully. Such desires, kind stewardship, delicious meals are interrupted, bulldozed, shot point blank, enslaved, tortured, maimed, brutalized, strung up and buried by terrorist organizations called the nation state. I ask what we want because we continue to frame revolution as a fight against something. We call for ceasefires and an end to slavery and to stop deforestation. And I just like, you, you can call me cynical or idealist or any other thing. What I am is someone cognizant of what compels people to action. The more we admonish what it is that we don't want, the more our media is saturated with it. It is not a coincidence that Western news, both traditional and via social media, is saturated with the desolation of bombings and little to no mention of the amount of organized, targeted, and effective Palestinian armed resistance that has kept the ground invasion of so-called Israel out of Gaza Strip. Editors know, I would also Recommend keeping abreast of these battles via the Resistance News Network's Telegram linked in the newsletter. Here are my concluding thoughts for the moment. Entitled, If You Surrender to the Madness, You Can Ride It. Madness is marked with the sure and unending belief of strangers. That's what you do with your wayward seeds of hope as time loops in on herself you wrap them in paper towel and allow them to germinate. You shine them with the warm light of steely determination, the knowledge that a new world is coming like the dawn, like it's inevitable, like it's on the way. Phonate on what it is that you want that seed to grow into. Bury your hope and pray that even if you cannot personally see the sweet plums ripen, your children's children's children will. I scribble these notes on a plane, enduring terrible turbulence and I am insane momentarily to feel complete peace and I only feel peace because I am certain of our landing madness kisses us in the chapters of despair that we all wade through we are mad to survive in the face of imminent death and have been mad through generations through genocides fast and slow and so what so what of the madness if you surrender to the mad, you can ride it. Peace.